Hi, and welcome to the IMS Insights Podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Barber, and today we're speaking with Senior Trial Advisor, Chris Ritter, about core values that motivate jurors and behavioral economics at trial. Chris Ritter is a highly sought senior trial advisor for the firm's top clients, seeking guidance and perspective on case theme development, persuasion graphics development, witness preparation, and focus group and mock trial research. Chris graduated from the University of Chicago Law School and actively tried cases for nearly 15 years. He served as an adjunct professor of law at the University of California Hastings School of Law for 12 years, teaching courses in trial practice and evidence. Chris has advised clients for more than 20 years on over 500 cases throughout the country, with more than 100 mock jury and focus group projects. Chris's written works include three books published by the American Bar Association and dozens of articles and case studies on topics including persuasion strategy, trial graphics, witness preparation, and trial war room strategy. We appreciate you joining us today and hope you enjoy today's episode of the IMS Insights Podcast. And welcome, Chris. It's really nice to have you on here. Good to have you today. Oh, thank you, Teresa. It's always good to to hear your voice and to see you. And, you know, particularly in this very stressful time, um, it's always good to hear that people are doing well. And I'm glad to hear your family as well. Thank you, Chris. Same to you. Thank you. So I, I wanted to ask you, how did you end up finding yourself interested in in law and in the field that you're in now? Well, it was kind of a, a circuitous route, but it, it all began when I was five years old and one of my mother's sisters who didn't have any children, so she was kind of like a second mother to us. After listening to this five-year-old talking and talking and talking, she she turned to my mom and said, he needs to be a lawyer someday. and I, I actually remember that, and I didn't know what a lawyer was, but if she said I should be a lawyer someday, that actually started started me thinking. It was circuitous in the sense that uh, my mother always wanted to have a pediatrician, and uh, so for the longest time, uh, she was a pediatrics nurse, so for the longest time, she was urging me to go into medicine, and I thought I would become a doctor until I hit organic chemistry. And like a lot of people, when I hit organic chemistry, I couldn't figure out what an alkane and an alkene was. And But I was having a great time in political science classes. And so I uh, withdrew from the class uh, literally right after the second exam, declared myself as a political science major. And as I like to jokingly say, there's not much you can do with a political science degree except uh, go to law school. So as I say, the rest is history. Uh, but I also think to be serious, a little bit more serious, but that, that's a true, but I think to be a little bit more serious, I think I had always really been impressed by um, the power that for good that lawyers have to be able to do with respect to helping people doing justice. And, you know, that to me that, you know, it's very easy to say that, but it's something that I've always tried to um, maximize being able to do pro bono work and otherwise. And, in in that regard, it's a, a profession that's great, greatly, greatly satisfying. Thank you for sharing that, Chris. That's interesting. Um, and you have a, a kind of a special interest too. So you're, you, you kind of have gravitated specifically to litigation and you really, you're a master of, you know, trial practices. So how did that become a particular area of interest for you? Yeah, well, first of all, thank you for saying that. Um, I, it's one of those things that I, I just had my 64th birthday. So you, you kind of wake up and you try to look back and you figure out how did I how did I get here? And 
I think that to, to some extent, the unifying thread has, has been that I've been lucky enough to um, find things that I really love and really enjoy doing and been able to uh, pursue them. And, you know, when you're in your 20s and somebody tells you that, you know, you should do what you love and do your passion, you know, do what fills you with passion, it sounds good, but uh, you're not quite sure where that's going to lead you. But it really is very good advice. I started off when in law school um, thinking that all that lawyers did was trial work. I didn't have any lawyers in my family, so I always assumed that I was going to be a trial lawyer. Hmm. And uh, I started off, uh, when I graduated from law school, I was very lucky to um, have graduated at a time uh, in the early 80s where lawyers were still not, were not outrageously expensive. And so young lawyers had the opportunity to be mentored by senior folks, you know, which is unfortunately a dying opportunity these days. But I had an opportunity to work with some very good trial lawyers who really instilled in me a passion for um, the jury system and the adversarial system and really had some opportunity early on to get involved in trials, which I think made all the, all the difference in the world. And then I had an opportunity to teach um, at Hastings Law School, and I realized how much I really did, in fact, enjoy the process. And from then on, um, it kind of became a, an issue to try to get into court and do as much possibly related to trial work as possible. Um, and this is a long answer, but I was in the middle of getting ready for a trial, which were becoming increasingly rare. Um, and I met this guy named Andy Spingler, who uh, had started the, a group called The Focal Point. And he was having such a good time working on what was so much fun about a trial, getting it ready for trial, for you know, taking uh, boxes and boxes of documents and putting them into some order and then figuring out a way to teach that. He was enjoying that opportunity and came to the conclusion that was for me. And I was lucky enough to uh, find an opportunity to work with with Andy, and that really uh, gave me the opportunity to really pursue what I love doing, which is uh, finding ways to to make the system work through helping educate and teach the decision maker. So, Chris, I'm dying to ask you because one of the first times I ever met you, you <laughs> blew my mind as I was sharing with you a little bit ago, and you talked about you know, how val- how very specific values persuade various types of jurors right. to approach information differently. Can you talk a little bit about your kind of your approach to the juror mindset? Yeah. Again, thank you. I firmly believe in the jury system. Um, I I don't think that uh, it gets it right one hundred percent of the time, but I don't think any jury system, any system, any decision system gets it right one hundred percent of the time. But I, I honestly do believe that it does, and I think it gets there uh, not by anything that uh, trial lawyers are expressly taught in law school. I mean, you clearly have to know the law and you have to understand what what are required. But the reason the jury system works is there are twelve people who have a collective wisdom that gets applied to a set of facts. And the set of facts are, are, if you think about it, are things which they're hearing for the first time and they know very, very little about. So there's a logical question, which is how do 12 people who know absolutely nothing about often very detailed, very specific areas come up with the right decision? 
And I've just observed over the years that I, I, that one, I think 12 people in the common sense and the kind of the general collective wisdom that they have is a, a very powerful way of, of determining what happened. But the other reason that it happens is that people are able to relate to each other in ways that cross culture and people are tied together by virtue of the fact that we're just human, we're human. So specifically to what you were talking about, and that could be through um, shared experiences and stories and values and various other things. But specifically, I've observed that there are about eight core values that really modify, uh, excuse me, that really drive people to come to their conclusions. And uh, this, this is kind of like, uh, uh, this, this is always kind of fun because I started off with five and then I went to seven and now I'm up to eight. So uh, it, it continues to expand. The eighth one is, the eighth one is uh, empathy. And it's kind of like Pluto. We haven't quite decided whether it's a planet or not. We haven't quite decided whether it's a core value or not, but I think it is. So I now say eight. But these are the values that motivate people to act. and. There, no, nobody has, uh, rarely does anyone have a single one of them. We tend to have kind of a combination. And I think by appealing to the core values, one can uh, persuade and educate. So uh, those, those core values, just real quickly, and I can talk to any detail you want about them, are, yeah. are compassion, which, as you can imagine, is something that, that people feel towards, uh, primarily towards uh, defendants that have been injured in, in some way. And I make it very clear, not, not all of these core values appear in every single case. So if you're doing a very dry UCC1 filing case, you're not likely to have a lot of compassion involved. But if you're dealing with somebody who's been widowed or orphaned or has been really badly hurt in some way, compassion will, will, will come into play. The eighth core value, and the reason I'm jumping to it is because it's related to the first one, is empathy. And I've debated long and hard whether empathy is its own standalone or whether it's connected with compassion as well. And I've come to the conclusion I think it's, it's separate. So it's the most recent one. But empathy is the experience that you have of saying, I would have done the same thing. And it often applies, for example, when you have somebody who's in a situation that t- takes an action. Like, for example, we had a case recently where someone had worked for a family business, everything was going well. Just before they were about to retire, the business was, was bought, they lost their pension. You know, it was, uh, so in that way you felt compassion, but they then went and started working for a competitor. And the big company that had bought the original family company sued them. And one of the things that I found jurors saying to themselves when I talked to them was, I would have done the same thing. In other words, I as the defendant would have I'm in my late 50s and I lose my pension and I all of a sudden am being forced to work for a company I don't want to work for. I, I, I too would have gone and looked for something else. So that's the, the, the second, second or eighth core value, depending on how you rate it. Other core values include what I call checklisters. And that's more of a description of the person than it is the value. But when I describe the person, you'll understand the value which is the person who wants to know, doesn't care about warm and fuzzy, doesn't care about compassion. I don't mean that in a negative way, but really wants to know what the law is, what the rules are. And they'll check the boxes based on the evidence. And then wherever that comes out is who they're going to back. And they'll put aside compassion. They'll put aside empathy. They'll put aside other values because the orderliness of following the rules is 
important to them, and it is an important value. Another one is science, which is people are looking to find experts or people who can give them information so that they can believe that what they're hearing is true. And again, I think that's one of those things that uh, science carries a very important role in our society. Look at all the debates we're currently having involved to science so that science in some ways uh, needs to and is, is often a very strong core value in what motivates people. You know, and some people are, are much more motivated by others, but I think it's very hard for people not to feel some influence by what they get from, and again, it's not really science. It could be information that comes from an expert in some way. I, I use the word science as kind of a shorthand. The other one that I have is fairness, and that's a huge motivating factor. Trial lawyers... I think sometimes uh, forget, trial lawyers tend to be checklisters, so they sometimes forget the desire that many jurors have to do what is right, uh, that is to come to the right answer, but also to come to an answer that they think is fair. So fairness is is a motivating factor. Common sense is another one. Um, I think of my mother when I think of common sense. I mean, these are people who value kind of, kind of an intuitive wisdom, uh, often rely on you know, rules of thumb and, and um, other kinds of, of, of what we call heuristics in a formal sense, uh, kind of general, general rules that have been developed over the, over the years, kind of a folk wisdom. And a lot of people who are extremely well-educated somehow kind of think that that's not as important, for example, as science. And I have to tell you, I, some of the best reasoners in the world are, 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 are people who rely on intuitive um, in intuitive thinking or, or, or common sense. And then um, I usually relate, raise at the very end, uh, I think I'm up to, I think I'm up to eight. <laughs> I will be up to eight. I'll go through it again with you. Basically what I call prejudgment or prejudice and self-interest. Both of those are pretty self-explanatory. Self-interest people do things because they're going to benefit as a result. And prejudice can be, I, I, I call it prejudgment as opposed to prejudice because Prejudice historically has a real negative connotation, but some prejudgments are, are positive. I mean, you know, per, certain people are predisposed a certain way toward others because of positive thinkings, but it's still a prejudice, right? It's still a preconception. So I think that's it. So let's see, uh, there would be compassion, there would be uh, checklisters, there would be fairness, there would be science, there would be common sense. There would be empathy. There would be, uh, and then the last two, prejudice and, and, and prejudgment. That's, that's all eight of them. And we all function, uh, we're all motivated by, in some form or another, some combination of those eight. Rarely do you find somebody who is just one or the other. Sometimes you do. I mean, someone who is a scientist can be extremely scientifically oriented mm. and uh, often will overlap with a checklister. Some, some engineer types are, are very much checklist oriented or uh, accountants tend to be as well. But for the most part, we have kind of a hodgepodge, kind of a stew of all of those. Usually one or two of them predominates. And I think, you know, uh, recognizing that that gives us the basis, the toeholds, as I like to say, to begin to be able to come up with ways of understanding, that gives us the ability to communicate with others. Again, really incredibly fascinating going through those eight approaches and also thinking about kind of the gradient or the various levels 
across various individuals. Thanks again to Chris Ritter and to you for joining us today for the IMS Insights Podcast. You can enjoy more thought leadership contributions from Chris and others on our website at www.expertservices.com. At IMS, we are trusted to deliver consultative trial and expert services for the most influential global firms. It's been our privilege to serve our clients on more than 20,000 cases and hundreds of trials through trial strategy, expert witness services, jury consulting, trial presentation, and trial graphics. It's our pleasure to connect you with the sharpest subject matter experts and meaningful insights on important matters. If you have a topic you'd like to hear more about, email our editorial team at editor at expertservices.com. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast and join us next time on IMS Insights. Thanks again.